Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Oceans Unite. Good evening to each and every one of you online. God bless you. Welcome to the Saturday night encounter service. And I just would like to give honor to the Spirit of Christ, who is the head of my life. Honor to each and every one of you in your respectable places. I'd like to give honor to Pastors Alex and Naomi. And a huge thanks for allowing me to take the pul pulpit tonight. Pastor Alex will be back tomorrow morning, so don't miss service. And I'd like to give honor to my wife, who's at home with our, our daughter. But she always gives and sends her love. When Pastor Alex asked me if I would take the pulpit this Saturday, and I started to seek the Lord about what to share, what should I say, God? What should I speak? And no matter how many times that I've done this, throughout my years of walking with the Lord, sometimes you still just feel inadequate. Sometimes the thoughts aren't there, the words aren't there, the revelation's not there. But God wanted me to share his heart with you tonight. Because I believe we live in a time where we have a a major dilemma. We have a major problem with fathers in our country, in our society, and all throughout biblical times, we see fathers that didn't always measure up, fathers that failed, fathers that experienced failure. The Bible mentions the title father, and I found this interesting a thousand times. The word father is mentioned, but throughout scripture, throughout the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, we see a decline, we see a deficiency in fathers. That's why Paul said in one of his letters, although you may have many instructors, yet you do not have or there are not many fathers. And coming from my background and the home that I grew up in, and I don't know if any of y'all can relate, but I had a father that was in the home, but a lot of times my father was absent. Absent from baseball games, absent from achievements or small accomplishments that I might have made in school on the baseball field and look over to see if your father's there, to see if your dad's there, to see if he showed up for the game and you look over and dad's not there. You look over from the stage, from the play, and dad's not there. My God, King David had his own son at one point and one time chasing him, coming after his life. There was a report put out 
that 100% of men incarcerated in the federal prison that reported growing up without a father. Excuse me. And there is such an attack today on fathers because they are the pillar of the family. They are the pillar of the home. They are the pillar in society. They were the ones that went out to war. They were the ones that were the gatekeepers. They were the ones that protected the home, that protected their wives, that protected their children. So it's no wonder that there's such an attack on fathers today. And that's an alarming statistic. That's an alarming rate. When you have 100% of men incarcerated in federal prison who recorded as growing up either without a father or with a father who was, an emo- who was emotionally absent in the home. And we see this being passed on from generation to generation. We see this passed on in our culture. Because we have so many distractions in modern day society, in modern day culture. We're so busy. A lot of times our families are getting our leftovers. The corporation or the business is getting 100% of us. I have to provide, I have to make money, I have to keep food on the table. And the enemy is constantly bombarding our mind with responsibilities. And what do we have generation after generation? A bunch of angry sons who are growing up. I'm going to be coming out of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Jesus starts out this chapter talking about not a flock of sheep, not a multitude of people. He starts out by talking about one lost sheep. One lost sheep. And he said, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion. Give me, Father, what belongs to me. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. 
A lot of us are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, the wayward son, the wayward child, the black sheep in the family. And here we see Jesus talking about the black sheep in the family, the one that never gets it right, the one that always seems to stray, the one that always seems to wander, the one that doesn't realize completely the purpose and the plans that God has for him, although you've been praying for him before he even came out of the womb. He said, give me what is mine. In these times, it was the father's discretion to give his inheritance that he had for his children, either before he died or after he died. But there's something interesting about this story. Because instead of waiting till he died to give the inheritance, he gives the son what he's requesting. It's almost like God is going to allow the rebellion in this man's life. He's going to allow him to experience manhood and adulthood. It's almost like he leaves room for the disrespect and dishonor that it's going to bring on this family. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. There's one thing about sin that we understand. It will take you places that you thought you would never go. It will take you places that you said you wouldn't ever go. Even as a child, I can remember saying, I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that. I, I, I'll always obey you, mom. I'll always obey you, dad. I'll never get into trouble. I'll always do what's right by you. I'll never lie. I'll never cheat. I'll never steal. Only to find myself doing what I said I never wouldn't do. Trying to find the love and acceptance of my father by behaving, by doing well in school. But with my father, good was never good enough. The bar, the standard was set, it was set so high that when you thought just maybe you might have reached the standard, you might have reached the bar, it was almost like the carrot dangling before the rabbit. And then the bars moved higher. And he goes into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So he just gets his inheritance and he goes and lives any kind of way. He goes and lives in sinful pleasure. He goes and does what feels good to his flesh. How many sons today have walked away from a home because of the absence of a father? And I don't say that to condemn and I don't say that even to make you feel bad. Because God's heart is for us fathers too. The fathers that didn't get it right, that thought they were doing right. The fathers that did the best that they could. The fathers that did what just, oh, hallelujah, God. The fathers that did just what was passed down to them. Generation after generation, we see this not only in biblical times, but we see it in today's current events. We see this today in our current society. We see this all over the world. Sons being raised by single mothers. 
sons being raised by grandmothers. It's no wonder that we have so much feminism in society. Where are the fathers? Where have the fathers gone? What has happened with our fathers? I can remember my dad was so loaded down with work, so pressured by work, that by the time he got to me, he was always snapping. He was always busy. And I've even seen this at times in my own life where I've had to be careful to realize that my children must come before everyone. And this is difficult for us as people. All of us have failed in one way or another in this area of being a father. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled, he would have gladly filled his belly, his appetite with the husk that the swine did eat. Look at the depravity coming from a wealthy family, coming from a family of royalty, coming from a family that honors God, coming from a family that loves God. How could this have happened? He says that he would have gladly eaten the husk that the swine were eating. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, you would know that under the law, this type of living, to even eat a pig, to even eat swine, was against the law. It was a disgrace. It was detestable. This is something that Jewish people didn't do. But yet here this man finds himself in a far country. It doesn't say a near country. A far country because that's what sin does. It takes you where you don't want to go and keeps you longer than you want to be kept. But the heart of the father was for the son. The heart of the father was for the one. And he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, oh, hallelujah, God. When he came to himself, he wasn't thinking who he was. He was thinking from another perspective, from another point of view. He had lost himself in the far country. He had lost himself in the riotous living. He had lost himself in the pleasures of the country that he was living in. He was having a good time. He was partying it up. He was living it up. And yet the father's heart the whole time was beating for the son to come home. Now, this had to be God's heart. Because people, and bear with me ladies, mothers, we know as fathers, when our sons disappoint us, 
we don't always approach it the right way. Sometimes we come aggressively. Sometimes we come in anger. Sometimes we come in frustration built up inside of us that has nothing to do with what the child or the son did. And when he came to himself, he wasn't even thinking right. He had lost himself. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? He didn't even feel worthy of the family name anymore. He had disgraced the family's name by even being around swine. As I said a moment ago, this was forbidden by the law of Moses. This is something that you just do not do. You cross the line here, son. But let's look at the father's heart. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more worthy to be called your son. He lost his total identity. Have you ever lost yourself? Have you ever lost yourself in a relationship? Have you ever lost yourself with a parent? Have you ever had a relationship broken with father? Have you had a relationship broken with your mother, with your sibling? Have you ever lost yourself and pleasures of sin for a season? Feeling ashamed, feeling unworthy, feeling that God can never take you back. God can never use you again. Well, I came here tonight that tell you, to tell you that God, one, oh, hallelujah, that God wanted me to tell you, I don't know who you are. It could be the one, the 99 that Jesus left. God wanted me to tell you that he still has purpose for you. God wanted me to tell you that he still has a destiny for you. God wanted me to tell you that he still loves you. God wanted me to tell you that he still accepts you. God wanted me to tell you that he hasn't forgotten about you God wanted to tell you God wanted me to tell you that he rejoices over you with singing father I have sinned against heaven and before you and am no more worthy to be called your son make me as one of your hired servants and these times slaves were almost considered as a part of the family this man sees himself. He comes to himself, but he still has not fully recognized his identity in God. How many fathers are walking around today because they don't recognize their identity in God? How many sons today are walking around because they don't recognize or understand their identity as a son of God? He said, just make me a hired servant. One thing about a hired servant is he could be fired tomorrow and he would have to get off the land. He would have to get off the property. And this is how he sees himself. This is how far he had gone into this country and spent his inheritance. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, he was still far off. He was still messing around with sin. 
He was still compromising. He was still dibbling, dabbling in rebellion. He was still in and out of jail. He was still in and out of prison, but he was still a son. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He kissed him as a sign of endearment. Now look what he does. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. You won't believe what I did last night, Father. You won't believe what I did when I was in that far country. You won't believe the shame that I brought to our family's name. You won't, oh God, you won't believe the shame that I brought to our community. You won't believe the shame that I caused when I was out there living away from you. You won't believe the things that I did that I can't even tell my best friend. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. He didn't say bring out a robe. He said bring out the best robe. This was a man that was living in sin. This was a man who had turned to rebellion. This was a man who was living a prodigious lifestyle. This was a man who was rebelling against God. Because he was rebelling against his father. We know that the Bible tells us, honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with you and that you may have long days while you are living on earth. And what does the father say? Please bring that scripture up for me again. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. There's significance in that ring and that robe and those sandals. For this, my son, verse 24, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. He was dead. He was lost. In this chapter, Jesus is speaking about the one. When I came to know God, I didn't have parents praying over me. I didn't have parents pouring the word of God into me. I didn't even really have parents that completely protected me. And at a young age, I got caught up in a lot of different things early on. Drugs, alcohol, rebellion in school, hate towards teachers, hate towards police officers, rebellious against any kind of authority. I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't believe in God because if there was a God, why is he allowing me to experience this pressure? Why is he allowing me to experience this pain? Why is he allowing me to grow up in a dysfunctional family? Why is he allowing my dad to be an alcoholic? Why is he allowing my mom to be a drug addict? Why did he allow me to be born addicted to cocaine if there's a God? And I can remember for the first time in the Fort Pierce Detention Center. 
1997, a little elderly lady came in there. And I was only going to church because I heard God was like this get out of jail free card. And I knew I didn't want to be in that place. And I can remember sitting in there and this elderly lady preached the message that night. And some other guys said that if you go to church, they have candy. So that was, that sold me right there. So when we went to chapel that night, when we went to church that night, she passed out these flyers. And it had a flame on the front that said, hell. And through most of the service, I was just laughing and giggling. But when she said that a person that doesn't accept Jesus Christ will spend an eternity separated from God. And I knew how hot it was in Florida. And I knew I didn't want to spend an eternity in this place. So I said, yes, I want this Jesus. I don't know who he is, but I want him. I don't want to spend eternity in that flame. But I didn't realize at that time Jesus was coming after the one because I believe I was the only one that raised my hand that night. But when I got out, I said, give to me again because I had an appetite that nothing could, that nothing could quench, that nothing could fulfill, that nothing could satisfy. I had an emptiness, I had a void, so I filled it with drugs, I filled it with alcohol, I filled it with gangbanging, I filled it with cussing and fighting and rebellion and running away from home. Questioning this God who's supposed to love me, this Father whose heart is supposed to be for me. And in 2002, I ended up in the Indian River County Jail facing three life sentences for robbing a gas station at gunpoint. Now, some of you have heard some of my testimony, so please just bear with me. And I was facing three life sentences, and I remember being in confinement one day for making buck for making wine in the jail. And I was in jail inside of a jail. My mind was in a far country. I wasn't thinking about God. I had used up everything. I went to psychologists. My parents sent me to psychiatrists. I went to re some of the top rehabs in the United States. I, I was off and on psychotropic medication. They labeled me as manic depressive, bipolar, schizoaffective, ADHD. They put me on so many medications from A to Z. I didn't know my left from my right at times. And I thought, this is my lot in life. I have a father that doesn't really love me. I have a father that doesn't really care for me. I have a father that I feel like he's just shoving me so he can get the next thing done. And I was in that jail cell and I had a little pocket Bible and I opened it up to 1 John 5, 4. And it said, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, y'all. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And I said, God, I said, if you're real, if you're there, if you can get me six years, I'll take it. Long story short, I went to court eight months later and the, the lawyer came to the door and he knocked on the door and he said, Thomas, I got some good news for you. Now, God is so good the way that he sovereignly and the way that he strategically sets up our lives so he can reveal his heart to us so he can reveal his love to us 
so we can know who that we are so that the generational curse stops with you so that the generational curse stops with you and your son becomes a man of God and his son becomes a man of God and his son becomes a man of God and he knocked on that door and he said, Thomas, I got good news. I got you six years. That's exactly what I prayed for, but I forgot about what I prayed for. And when I went back into the cell while he was drawing up the plea deal, I had other inmates that were facing 15 to 25 years. We call them jailhouse lawyers because they can't get themselves out of jail, but they want to tell you how to get out of jail. That's like some people in bondage want to tell you how to get out of bondage, but they still have not gotten out of bondage. They still have not got the revelation of the Father. They still have not got the revelation of God's love. They still have not got the revelation of God's mercy, but want to tell you that you need to be free. We ran into this so much in the jail and the prison with people trying to unlock people. And they told me to plead out to the judge that I could get less time. And so when the lawyer came back, he brought me out to sign the deal and I said, I'm not signing the deal because I didn't speak to anybody. I couldn't get through on the phone because when I did the collect call, they denied the call because my parents gave up on me. People gave up on me. Friends gave up on me. But the heart of the Father was with me the whole time. The heart of the Father was with you the whole time. When people walked out, when people betrayed you, when people left you, when people said you would never make it out, when people said your child would never come back from this, God's heart was for you. God's heart was for your children. God's heart was for your family. And I said, I'm not signing the deal. And I went back in the cell and I heard a still small voice. And he said, remember what you prayed for. And I hurry up. I got on the door. I got the bailiff and I had him get my lawyer. I signed the deal. I went off to Orlando Reception Center. And while I was in Orlando Reception Center, my first 24 hours was a little confusing. I'd never been to the Department of Corrections. I've been to jail, I've been to rehab, I've been to mental institutions. I've been in straight jackets, I've been on Thorazine, Haldol, Prozac, uh, Cognac, you name it. <laughs> and while I was in this, this dorm, the officer says, get up, get up, you can't sleep in here, because I was used to the street life. I wasn't used to discipline, I wasn't used to people hanging over my shoulder, I wasn't used to people telling me what to do. And so I found that Bible, and I kept it with me my whole sentence. And every now and then, when I was depressed, I would open up that Bible to the book of Psalms. And I remember coming across a scripture where King David said, Many there be that say of me, there is no hope for his soul in God. But God, you are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head, the lifter up of my countenance. When I'm sad, you bring me up. When I'm down, you bring me joy. But that wasn't enough to convert me or convince me or convict me. Be patient with your sons. Be patient with your father. And I can remember being in there two years and I started to study different religions because I had this void. I had this emptiness. I had this longing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
this loneliness, this depression, this rejection that I felt from my father, and I didn't know how to deal with the rejection. I didn't even know at times that's what I was feeling, and sometimes that was, that's what was triggering me to go back to the pig swine, to the pig's den. Because at least there, I didn't have to think about myself. And I remember studying Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and Satanism and every ism you can think of. But there was still this longing. There was still this sadness. There was still this disconnection that I didn't have. And I ended up at Okeechobee Correctional Institution. And one day while I was out there on the softball field, when I got to this institution, I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't seen my family in two years. And I went out to the softball field one day, and I hit the softball. I slid into second base. I hurt my ankle. The medical came out with a wheelchair. They gave me a bottom bunk pass. And I came back to the dorm, but there were no bottom bunks open, so I had to hobble up and down the stairs on crutches. I had to get up and down on the bunk on crutches with a sprained ankle. And how many know that God says that he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Sometimes when we think something's not God, when storms are going on in people's lives, when disaster is happening, when destruction is happening, when things are falling apart, that's where God begins to do his best work. That's where God begins to bring people out of ashes and turn it into beauty. That's where God begins to bring people out of the refiner's fire. And I can remember for days doing that and then an inmate coming up to me that worked in transfer and receiving he said did you got get a bottom bunk yet I said no he got me into a cell I said well tell me what cell I'm going into because I don't like to do my time with just anybody I can only be in a cell with certain people because there's so many personalities that you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and I remember a couple days later when I started to move into the cell, there was this young Spanish guy, and all he did is smile. Every time I seen him going to chow, every time I seen him going out on the rec yard, he always had a smile on his face, and I was so angry. I was so hateful. I was like, there's no way that man could be that happy in prison. There's no way that somebody can smile like that all the time in prison. But what I didn't know is he had the heart of the Father. And I can remember going into the cell and he would just tell me that God loves you that Jesus has a plan for your life and I said there's no way that God can have a plan for my life I've done too many things I failed too many times I've messed up too many times and as a matter of fact it's on my mind when I get back out of this prison I'm still going to be a prisoner I'm still going to be institutionalized I'm still gonna be a convict I'm still gonna gangbang I'm still gonna sell dope I'm still gonna go to the club I'm still gonna go to the bar so I know that there's no way that this God can love me in this state there's no way that this God can have mercy on me there's no way that this God has a plan for me but what I didn't know was the heart of the Father Father. And all he did was tell me that God loves you. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And I remember April 23rd, 2005, I went to see my family and I hadn't seen them in a while, but I never seen my family like I saw them this time. 
and I left the visiting park and I walked out to the track. And I began to walk the wreck track and I felt the sorrow in my heart that I hadn't felt in years because in there, you don't cry. You don't show emotion. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of vulnerability. And we as men at times, as fathers, we don't like to show vulnerability. We don't like to show weakness. You got to be a man. You got to be tough. You got to lace up the bootstraps. But here we see that this father ran to his son and fell upon him and kissed his neck. And I remember all of a sudden that still small voice that I heard in 2002 spoke to me on that wreck yard. But this time he called me by my name and he said, Brian, he said, how long are you going to keep running from me? Go inside and pray with your roommate. And I didn't realize that uh, when I was outside of the cell on the weekends and my roommate was staying back from the chow hall. Now listen, you don't miss too many meals in prison. This man was staying back and not eating, and he was fasting, and he was praying. And when I was outside of the cell on the weekends or going out to the wreck yard, instead of going to wreck or to eat a meal, he was sacrificing his time. And he was fasting and praying over my mattress, praying over my locker, praying over my shoes, everything that I would touch. And when I heard that voice, I went inside and I said, roommate, as I'm coming up the stairs, he was standing in the window pane, smiling like he always did. And I said, roommate, I don't know what's wrong, but I believe that God just spoke to me and told me to come in here and get you to pray for me. I had never heard God's voice like that before, except in 2002. And at that time, I didn't know it was God's voice. And he said, I was waiting for you, my friend. And he began to pray with me. And it felt like the world came up off of my shoulders. And I laid in my bunk that night and I said, God, I believe that you're real. I believe what just happened was real. But I'm having a hard time believing that this man, Jesus Christ, was crucified, was an innocent man, a righteous man, a holy man. And he shed blood for my sins. And he shed blood for my crimes. And he shed blood over my conviction. Hallelujah. How could this be, God? I believe you created the heavens. I believe you created the sun, the moon, and the stars. But how could this man have died for me when I had a pistol in my hand and I ran in that store? How could he have died for me when I had brass knuckles beating people up? How could he have mercy on me when I was selling drugs to pregnant women? How could he have mercy on me when I was out there running away from home? How could he have mercy on me with all the things that I had did because he wanted Oh, hallelujah. God wants you to know it's the heart of the Father that loves you. It's the heart of the Father that covered you. It's the heart of the Father that redeemed you. And I laid in my bunk that night. This man gave his son his inheritance. He knew he was going into a place that would lead him down the wrong path. He knew he was going to be in rebellion. Some of us are still dealing with daddy issues, and God wants to show us his heart. And that next morning, I woke up, and he said, God laid some scriptures on my heart for you to, to read. And I said, well, share them with me, because I can't just, I'm not going to pick up the Bible, just share them with me. He said, no, pick up that Bible and read them for yourself. And I opened it up to Isaiah 54, 7 and 8, and he said, for a mere moment, I have forsaken you. With great mercies, I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. When I heard those three words, everlasting kindness and mercy, I had never felt a kindness so genuine. I had never felt a mercy so pure. I had never felt a, a, a kindness that was, that was unconditional. 
And when he, when he, when he shared, when I read those scriptures, I realized that there was nothing that I could do to get my father to disapprove of me like my earthly father. And he said, when you go to chapel tonight, April 24, 2005, don't wait till you get back to your cell to give your heart to the Lord. And when I came out of the chow hall that night, they were calling chapel. And I looked down to the left, and I looked down back at the dorm, and in there, they don't call chapel except for after chow, and then they do a master roster count, make you sit up on your bunk, and then go to chapel. But that night was a little out of the ordinary, and I found myself at the chapel, and it was called Miracle Chapel, because God still does miracles. God still has mercy. God still has compassion. God still has a heart for you. And I went and sat in the service that night, and this man came in and preached. He said, there's somebody in here tonight. You have a lot of questions about God. You're confused about God, but don't, let, don't wait till you get back to your cell to give your heart to Jesus. Come up to this altar and get prayer. And when he did the altar call, before I knew it, I found myself up there at the altar. And he said, what do you want prayer for? I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't even have a vision. I had no idea that I would be standing before a congregation one day. I had no idea that I would be out in the streets one day. I had no idea that I would be going back into that same prison and that same jail to tell people that the heart of the Father is for you. That the heart of the Father loves you. That the heart of the Father desires to pick you up. That the heart of the fire desires to give you life, that the heart of the Father desires to restore you, that the heart of the Father desires to redeem you, that the heart of the Father desires to wake you back to life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. If a man believe on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he said, what do you want prayer for? And I said, I want to dedicate my heart to Christ. And he said, just say this prayer. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I don't know which one that is, whether you're online or you're in here tonight. And you need to know that God's heart is for you. He sent me here tonight to tell you, for your son, for you, that his heart is for you. He said in the book of Malachi that there would come a time where he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's hearts to their parents. And that was in 2005, and my life has been radically changed since. Hallelujah. 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 That's the heart of a father. That's somebody that goes after the lost, the one. The one that leaves the 99. And Father, in here tonight, we thank you that you left the 99, Jesus, to come find the one. So God, whoever that one is in here tonight, Lord, God, I pray you would manifest your love to them, that you would manifest your heart to them. And that, Father, they would receive your love by faith. And that their lives would be radically changed. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy, God. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, as you said in the book of Malachi, that you would return the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children's to the father. God, we pray 
that you would bring the fathers back, God, that you would bring them out of the streets, that you would bring them out of the clubs, that you would bring them out of the bars, that you would bring them out of uh, jobs, that you would bring them out of the corporations, that you would bring them out of the jail, and that you would bring them out of prison, God, and that you would begin to restore the father to the sons and the sons to the father. And Father, we'll always be careful. Thank you, Father, for redeeming our lives. Thank you, God, that we are safe in your love. We are safe in your heart. Your heart is for us, just like the prodigal son's father was for his son. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. And we give you the praise. And all God's children said, amen. Give God some praise.